Hi, I'm Eric. And I'm Megan. And this is Cinema Super Collider, where we're smashing up cinema one movie at a time. Greetings, my friends. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here, my friend. Can your heart stand the shocking fact about cinema, On this episode of Cinema Super Collider, we're taking a look at Strange Brew, the 1983 comedy written and directed by Dave Thomas and Rick Moranis. Yeah, the two hosers, the, the, the two guys from the Great White North on uh, SCTV. Right, the McKenzie brothers. The McKenzie brothers. Who could forget? Well, I think a significant chunk of our audience probably doesn't know that. They were probably not born when or that show was on. <laughs> doesn't know what SCTV is. Um, probably doesn't even recognize Dave Thomas and Rick Moranis. Maybe Rick Moranis, because he was in Ghostbusters and stuff. Yeah, Dave Thomas was one of the guys that did not have much of a big career after SCTV broke up. Let's talk about some of the people that were on SCTV. Eugene Levy, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Andrea Martin. Sure. Uh Dave Thomas, Rick Moranis, uh, uh, Joe Flaherty, Joe Flaherty, Catherine O'Hara was one of the people mm-hmm. on the show. John Candy was one of the people on the show. Yes, uh, Harold Ramis was one of the people on the show. So this is uh, these are some of the people that that came from the television show called SCTV, which was on from the early seventies. Well, from the mid mid seventies, the mid seventies. I think maybe their first show debuted in like 77 or something like that Mm -hmm. so it went from 77 to like 87 was like their their heyday and then they kind of disappeared but uh dave thomas and rick moranis were two of the character players on the show and they came up with this sketch called uh the great white north with bob and doug mckenzie and they were the mckenzie brothers and the bit was what what was the bit the bit is their like Lower class Canadian hockey fan stereotypical guys. Yeah, they're, they're sort of like like Canadian rednecks. Yeah, like, I would say Canadian redneck is know, probably the the best way of putting it's it. It's the, the the what what the show was produced in Canada, and one of the requirements of having a show produced in Canada, if you wanted the benefit of the Canadian beneficial Canadian government stand to taxes and whatnot, producing your show. It had to have a certain percentage of its time that was "quote unquote" Canadian content, right? So what they did is they uh, uh, Dave Thomas and Rick Moranis, you know, from from Canada, just started doing this kind of like improv goof on kind of like dopey kids that they knew or people from around the neighborhood and stuff. And they talked about beer and hockey and toques. <laughs> toques. They wear toques instead of hats. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, they like back bacon, yes, which is uh, Canadian bacon, which is something like ham. It's basically ham. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think it was called Canadian Corner at first. And they did this, you know, I think for their twenty minute show, it was they needed a two minute skit, so they would just turn on the cameras and they had this picture, you know, this this map of uh, uh, Canada behind them, and they would just go off and talk in like a funny Canadian Canadian accent, accent voice. And like, just talk about nothing. They had multiple cases of Molson Canadian on the set, like stacked up, and they would sit there and drink their beer in a little camp stove. Mm-hmm. And they would generally the the bit on the TV show it was a weekly TV show, weekly sketch comedy TV show. If you don't know about SCTV, and every week they would just you know improv for about two minutes, and they didn't really ever get around to what talking about their topic. By the time they decided on what their topic was the show was over right and they'd go good day and and then they'd move on to the next and sketch they'd move on to the next sketch now for those of you who are not familiar with sctv the sc part of it stands for second city and eric and i are based in chicago which is where second city was formed and founded 
Uh, I could go on for a long period of time about the history of the Compass Players, Second City, the improv scene here in Chicago. Before I did podcasts, before I did burlesque, I actually did improv comedy, and I was part of several of the theaters here in town. So Second City branched out after they started their initial theater here in Chicago, and they moved into Toronto, which is where SCTV is was based and formed. And they had their S, their Second City branch of stage shows in Toronto, and a number of the folks from SCTV were part of the main stage show on the Second City stage there in Toronto. So they moved into this just like many of the other Canadian comedians, uh, for example, like Kids in the Hall. Um, they had a connection to that scene as well. Mm-hmm. But this original group, this these original SCTV players were part of a, uh, a group of actors and improv people and comedians that uh, started doing a, a show called Godspell. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's a famous musical. Oh, uh, it's not a favorite of mine. It's uh, most famously known for a song called Day by Day. Day by Day. Yes. And they all wear like hippie 60s-esque clothing. And there's a lot of jazz hands. And mm-hmm. it's not my favorite musical. But this had... Uh, Martin Short, and it had Rick Moranis, and it had Dan Aykroyd, and it had uh, uh, all. It had uh, Paul Schaefer. It had multiple people from SNL and multiple people from SCTV who did this Godspell thing together in Toronto around about 1975. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't long after that Lauren Michaels put together a little TV show called Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. which aired on NBC. Uh, forever, and it's, it's been still, there forever. It's still running. I don't know. It's like forty years on something. I mean, it's got to be going on forty years now. Well, I think it debuted in seventy six, seventy six or seventy seven, and now it's twenty twenty three. So yeah. you do the math. Yeah. So it's it's getting up there. Uh, yeah, getting up to fifty years, huh? Mm-hmm. How about that? And uh, so so, what is SCTV? Who are they? And what happened is it's kind of a long and complicated story. But before we get into all the details of that, let's talk a little bit about the movie Strange Brew. Who's in it and what happens? Sure. In the movie. It's it's basically a, a, a retelling of, of Shakespeare's greatest epic Hamlet. Right. Except that it is nothing like Hamlet. Right. So originally when, when they proposed this film... Uh, they got a diff- Dave Thomas and Rick Moranis were working with a different screenwriter, and they were like, "Look, we don't know exactly what we want, but we kind of like it to be based on Hamlet." And so the first draft of the script was very true to the source material to Shakespeare's play, and they were kind of like, "Yeah, that's not going to work with the way that we work." So Dave Thomas actually took the script and rewrote it, and then eventually Rick Moranis came in and helped finish writing the script. This was before anybody knew who Rick Moranis was, by the way. This was before uh, he was in uh, Ghostbusters. This was before he was in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. This is before Little Shop of Horrors. Rick Moranis was really kind of an unknown Mm, quantity at that point on the national stage. I think he may have been in a few things, but not not to the... his big breakout thing, I think, would be Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters, uh-huh. which is the following year, I believe. Right. Ghostbusters came out in 1984. Yeah, and then so. there was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and then there was Little Shop of Horrors, and then he kind of disappeared because he 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 retired from the scene. Well, the reason he retired from the scene is that his wife unfortunately died at a fairly young age, and he decided that instead of pursuing his acting career further that he wanted to raise his kids and be a good dad and so that's where he went he yeah he did record an album of uh uh, like klezmer music or uh i mean klezmer music i guess is a specific thing yes but it was like um uh it it was uh jewish based music like uh like like folk songs kind of yeah but they were sort of comic folk songs like you know who likes boobies brisket you know is like a a song so like cat skills jewish humor songs (laughs) cat skills jewish humor songs Mm. uh and uh you know that i don't think he made a lot of money i think he's been offered a lot of money from time to time to come back into acting oh yeah and i think maybe in the uh, 21st century maybe in the teens he might have come out and done like one or two things. I don't recall. But. I think he has reemerged occasionally 
here and there. I mean, all, his kids are all grown up mm-hmm. at this point. So if he wanted to, he could. But I, I think that, you know, I, once once you've made like several blockbusters, you can kind of just eat out on the residuals that you get mm-hmm. because you will never stop getting them. Yeah. And Dave Thomas was a member of the SCTV comedy troupe that followed them from their early years at one station to their middle years at another station to their more senior years at NBC to like their their last sort of incarnation. And then he sort of disappeared a little bit. Uh, one thing I know about Dave Thomas is he was kind of a right wing crank and everybody in the comedy troupe sort of like let him slide with that. But this was in the 80s. And so, you know, and and, and he made it part of his comedy. But Dave Thomas was a, a very funny, very clever, uh, great improviser on the show. Mm-hmm. And um, the two of them had this this comedy bit that they did, as I described earlier, and they decided to turn it into this movie based on Hamlet. Well, I think that the, the bridge between the two is that they recorded an album called The Great White North. And that's- Oh my God, that was huge. That was a huge comedy. This is back in the day when comedy albums were a thing that people sought out and bought. And would listen to. Oh, let's sit sit down on Grandpa's knee here yes. for a while while I explain. George Carlin, yeah. uh, you know th- these Steve guys. Martin, Steve Martin, Richard Pryor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, all of them had comedy albums at the time, and and I know that comedians still record that kind of shit because I have some friends that are stand ups that have done that, but it's not the same as it was. Well, you know, we have to go back to the day of media uh, that was not on demand in any way. Way back. I know. <laughs> I, I remember as a kid, I, I think it was on Sunday morning, there was a show on one of the radio stations in Kansas that was, it basically just played like bits from comedy albums. And I would, re- I remember I would listen to it because it was like, well, if you didn't have the money to buy, you know, everybody, at, when I was a child, it was CDs. So when Eric was a child, it, it was, was LPs. Yes, yes, it was vinyl. But uh, but yeah, if you didn't have money to buy the whole album, yeah. at least you could listen to a clip on the radio. Yeah, a funny thing on one of the later incarnations of Mystery Science Theater, I think one of the bots asks Joel, what's radio? What's radio, Joel? Or what's radio, Jonah? And he says, well, it's like a podcast that you can't start or stop. And that's pretty <laughs> much pretty much what it is. That's pretty much what all of entertainment was back in that time was a TV show would come on at the time it came on, and then it would play, and then maybe it would come back in reruns later on if you if you paid attention, looked at the newspaper, and looked or at the, the schedule. Or the TV guide. Or the TV guide. There used to be a thing that you could get called a TV guide. Yeah. If you if you were lucky enough to live in like a major market area like, like, uh, like I did here in Chicago, they had a... TV guide included in the Sunday edition of the paper, so no one. No, we had it in Kansas too. TV guide, but uh, TV but we, guide, the magazine was a very popular thing for many years. How because, would you know what the cheers and jeers were? <laughs> cheers and jeers. That's right. TV guide. Well, that's another whole thing. But hey, we didn't even <laughs> we didn't even get into the movie. So I'll I'll I'll, I'll so kick Eric, it back to you. Sorry. Okay. I, I'll I'll say. So what happens in Strange Brew is the McKenzie brothers uh, decide that they want to try and get some free beer. By putting a mouse in a beer bottle. And they first they go to the distributor who says, fuck you, go away. If you want to pull that scam, you got to go to the brewery. So they go to Elsinore Brewery, because this is Elsinore beer that they're working with. And they save the heir to the Elsinore Brewery establishment from a electric gate that has trapped her. And immediately get jobs, because, because that's how it works in comedy movies. And well, she's the heir to the thing, so she can give anybody. She can give to, anybody, right? But there, but there are, are nepotism, favoritism. Yes, but there are strange things afoot at Elsinore. Uh, that being the it's Hamlet's Castle. It's Hamlet's Castle. If you don't know, if you're unfamiliar with the, the the play, Elsinore is the is the castle in which all the action takes place. And just like in the play, the father of the heir. Uh, has been murdered by his brother, who marries her mother. So, right. so, so in the, Hamlet in, in this case is a lady, Hamlet a lady this, person. Right, Hamlet in this case is uh, is is the heiress to the Elsinore beer fortune, and the other some of the other famous characters from uh, Hamlet are uh, Rosencrantz uh, and Guildenstern, well, and and Hamlet's daddy's ghost. Right, the the ghost. Mm-hmm. Yes, and. 
uh, we watching the film thought that uh, Bob and Doug McKenzie were the version of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, who were kind of a joke in terms of Hamlet, because I don't know, <laughs> I, maybe you could speak to this, but in in today's world, it would seem like the first draft of Hamlet had a lot more Rosencrantz and Guildenstern uh, like business in it. But by the time you got to the final cut, they just kind of show up. And the and and Hamlet says, "Here, go on this boat with these people and and make sure something happens." And then the next thing you hear, like several scenes later, is Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. And then that's kind of like all they do in the play. Well, that's I, I mean, having read the full text, that's kind of basically all they do. Yeah, they show up and give Hamlet an opportunity to monologue which he doesn't necessarily need a lot of prompting to monologue. There are a lot of Hamlet monologues in the original text. Yeah, what do you call that when you monologue to the audience? What's that called? It's a soliloquy. Soliloquy, right. Mm -hmm. I mean, he doesn't need to, they don't really need to be there, but, you know. Well, you kind of want it to, you want it to be set up somehow, right? You want it to be set up, you know, like, like he, there's, there's, of course, you know, there's the, the soliloquy that happens after he sees his uncle praying, you know, to, for forgiveness. There's, The soliloquy where, you know, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern have shown up and Hamlet is basically being a pouty bitch. That's uh, most of the play. Which is, honestly, it is most of the play. The play Hamlet is about procrastination. That is that is one of the main themes for for various reasons, you know, and, and we're not talking about Hamlet, so I won't get into it too terribly in depth. But uh, but yes, that is that I could probably talk to to that point for about an hour but yeah, anyway we don't need to get that far into no it, we though. don't need to get that far into it um but that's kind of like all that remains of of hamlet the story other than uh, i guess the uh, hamlet's dad's ghost or uh the the beer heiress's father's her name ghost. is pam 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 elsinore pam elsinore yes uh yes the ghost of the father pam's father is literally in the machine yeah he's in a computer well, he's he's actually, I think, in the electrics. Yes, in because, the electrics. Because he is, was electrocuted. That's how yeah. he dies. And then he ends up in... We first see him in the uh, Space Invaders-esque Yeah, it was, like, it's border, border Patrol. It has like a Canadian flag and an American flag on this video game called Border Patrol. Yes. That they invented for the movie, well, which is kind of funny. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah I, good, I give him credit. It's a good gag. There's also a subplot that involves hockey and mental patients. <laughs> well, of course, there's hockey in there, and uh, well, there has to be. There it's, has to be. It's hockey a running bit. Yeah, yeah. But so, so you were saying that uh, Bob and Doug McKenzie go to the factory with a uh, a beer bottle with a mouse in it that uh, they put it in when it was a baby and then fed it until it got larger. And this, the idea is, you take this back to the brewery and say, "Hey, I bought my beer from you, and one of the bottles contained a mouse." Therefore, you need to give me a case of free beer. Right. It worked for them before. Uh, it worked for them on the TV show, and it worked for them on their comedy albums, so they're going to do it in the movies. And uh, they say, get the hell out of here. This is nonsense. We've heard this before. Well, uh, and, and oddly enough, when when this sketch became as popular as it did, all the beer companies wanted to get the McKenzie Brothers to basically be kind of their spokespersons. And they were all about the drinking beer. They were all about drinking beer. And they eventually... Ended up uh, with Molson. Molson was the beer company that was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we'll totally, oh, yeah. like, we'll totally sponsor That's one you. Of the big Canadian beers, Molson. Then they found out about the mouse in the bottle thing that was going to be in the movie, and they backed away from it. Lame. Which is stupid. Lame. I mean, it's which not is like ableist insult, but still, it's lame. not like they didn't already do that gag multiple times on the sketch show. But hey, you know, you do you, Molson. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, well, let me quickly diverge back then to the sketch show, which is back in the old days, Grandpa takes you on his knee, talks to you about how things were on TV. And what happened was this TV show, SCTV, which maybe you have heard of, but a lot of you probably haven't, uh, you know, it was just chugging along, doing its thing. It was not nearly as popular as Saturday Night Live, but all of a sudden these two characters caught on mm-hmm. and it became this big deal. People would watch this whole 90-minute comedy show for the two-minute bit that these guys did called The Great White North, where they would go, hey, Hoser, what are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to drink some beer, eh? And and it it captured everybody's imagination back in 1982. Mm-hmm. It was one of those things like, 
you it's hard to understand if you grew up in the era of the internet where everything is available everything everywhere all at once yes. is available uh and at that time this was you know you had three things to watch on a saturday night if you were at home mm-hmm. and as a kid i was at home i mean what else was i going to do right. i wasn't going to be out clubbing when i was six years old right or 10 years old or whatever uh so you're going to watch the show and so and everybody else who was shut in and this became a phenomenon mm-hmm. like these things just would happen it was sort of like the blues brothers when that happened i mean the thing is is that Sketch comedy shows, specifically Saturday Night Live, have generated these characters, right? I mean, if well, Saturday Night Live was the first one really to do that. Although I say, I guess Nichols and May did some stuff on Nichol- like, the Bob oh, yeah. Newhart show. No, no, I would, day, I mean, you know, I would, like- I would say that the history of sketch comedy, even going all the way back to like, um, what is it, your show of shows, right? Yeah, like there Sid were, Caesar. there were bits. The recurring bits, there were characters that people wanted to see, you know, and and it is mostly Milton Berle and drag, but <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> or that's the Milton Berle show. That's Mil- not Milton Berle show, shows, right? But, yeah. but like, I mean, Carson used to have uh, uh, what was this the Karnak, Karnak, the Magnificent, yeah. right? Oh my God, this is going all the way back. I mean, all the old folks. yeah. Well, the thing is, the comedy always falls into characters because it's easy to identify and people want to hear him say the catchphrase it's like that one episode of the simpsons where bart is on the crusty show and i didn't do it right and and everybody wanted to see the i didn't do it kid well everybody wanted to see the the mckenzie brothers say hoser and a you know uh and if not for uh bob and doug mckenzie then you know wayne's world would never have oh yeah definitely never have existed in my opinion definitely so these were two super hot properties in uh, like popular culture at that time they as you mentioned before they had a comedy album that they put out mm-hmm. which was nothing but recycled two-minute bits from their tv show with a bonus track delivered by rush a canadian band which has now come into a lot of uh, uh appreciation here in the uh in the 2020s uh, which I did not see coming mm-hmm. uh but uh, the the rising or continued or resurgence in popularity of the group rush uh should make you understand like how important it was that this comedy group on a tv show that kind of like not a lot of people watched was like huge Mm -hmm. so i mean the top 40 radio which is where you went if you wanted to hear pop music in the day you didn't there was no spotify right so you'd listen to top 40 radio and every 15 fucking minutes they play this take off to the great white north you know, by Getty Lee and Rush and company, because it was just a popular thing. And people would call into the station and like, play that great white North song and they'd play it. And so the people who were making movies were like, we got a strike while the iron is hot. Mm-hmm. And they were smart. And they, they went on and made this movie with these two goofy characters. And so they, the, the, the owner's daughter or now the new owner sets them up or somehow on the beer inspection line so that, they, they watch the bottles as they go by a lighted piece of glass and like looking for rodents. Yes. And uh, that quickly gets boring for the two of them. So they wander off and they, they get into shenanigans. They discover the, the hockey games that are happening because the one, the one real name person that was associated with strange brew was Max von Sydow. And uh, when Dave Thomas. Wait, they got Max von Sydow for this movie. Yes. So when Dave Thomas and Rick Moranis finished the uh, the script, they were like, "This one character, the brewmaster character, we really want Max von Sydow for it, but we know he's never going to say yes." And the producer that was working on the the film was like, "Look, I'll take the script. I'll set he's up a, a buddy of mine. I know a friend of a friend. Well, yeah. I'll set up a meeting with him to talk about it and see if he'd be willing to at least you know take a look." And what ended up happening is he just sent him the script because they had just finished a movie called Victory with him. The, it, the MGM was the studio that did both Strange Brew and Victory. And he yeah. was like, hey. I remember seeing him in the movie Steppenwolf. Oh, fancy. Yes. Fancy movie, yes. Um, he's like, take a look at the script, see what you think. So he read it and Max von Sydow showed it to his son. And his son was a huge SCTV fan and was like, hey, dad, you, you should do this. Like, trust me, you should do it. It's it's going to be great. 
So in, in much the same way as Raul Julia got roped into doing Street Fighter because his grandchildren loved playing the game, Max von Sydow signed on to do this movie because his son was a fan. So there you go. So yeah, so there's some sort of evil plot going on between Claude. Max von Sydow. No, no, no. Claude oh. is the is the brother married to the mother of Pam. Ah, and the other major character is the guy who was Red Leader on uh, Star Wars. Gold Leader. Gold Leader from Star Wars. Yes, Angus McInnes. So look, uh, uh, Max von Sydow uh, was in a Star Wars sequel, Star Wars Episode Seven, I believe. He was the guy that was on the planet, and then Kylo Ren kills him. He's the guy that has like the thing, oh, I got this thing... Oh, I must plug this into BB-8, and then I will die. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, and then he showed up. And this guy was Gold Leader from, uh, from Star the Wars original Episode Star Wars. 4. Yes. Right? Yeah. So there's a Star Wars connection with this show, so we should definitely, we should hashtag this this episode Star Wars so that we get some uh, some of the Star Wars people who listen to podcasts to listen yeah, to our podcast. I, I don't know about that. Well, we mentioned Star Wars now a couple of times. I've mean, I said it like five times now, so... Does, I don't know that that counts. But <laughs> sure. I'm going to make it count. Yeah. You, you know what it, What will happen is if you start talking about Star Wars, you're going to get a whole flood of well-actuallys from Star Wars fans. I'd like to know more about, uh, uh, you know, how all these characters came to be part of uh, of uh, the Strange Brew. It's called world. casting. <laughs> it's like, who could show up? I wonder where this was filmed. I didn't even take any. Uh, we to, totally so. understood where it was. It being was filmed, filmed in Canada. In it Toronto, was filmed in right? Toronto. Like right. all of it was filmed in Toronto. Okay, so the casting must have been East Coast based casting or something. You don't see a lot of Hollywood people in this film, do you? you see no, a lot it's of sort of like just it's mostly Canadian people yeah. because they filmed it in Canada. Yeah. So there you go. There you go. That's how they ended up in the movie casting. I hear you. <laughs> What we want to talk about is the nefarious plan that Max von Sydow has for the Elsinore Beer Company, because he's going to put some sort of secret additive in the beer, and when everybody drinks the beer, they will be easily manipulated by him, because somehow this additive makes them respond to certain musical tones. Think right. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Do, 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 do. Remember that? Mm, but that's not the one that they use no, in this one. They use Dave Thomas's fake, like, Canadian sound for the beginning of the Great White North. He would go, Yep. Hi, I'm Bob McKenzie. Hi, I'm Doug McKenzie. How's it going, eh? That's how the show would always start. Yep. And uh, that was another thing that was, you know, improv by Dave Thomas. And it was like, Every time they'd see, like, in Canada, of course, they had to have that Canadian content. And Canadian content in Canada was usually some sort of nature documentary about the woodchuck or something like right. that. And so, like, on can Canadian TV, it would be like, it's uh, 8.45, the show is over, and now comes, you know, Canadian content. And it would they play some sort of, like, <laughs> and it would be like some guy, the woodchuck's normal habitat is in the frozen areas of like such and such and so that's the the the, the little tagline that he would do and so that became the tones of music that max von Sydow, the evil brewmaster or he's the evil psychiatrist really he was both he's <laughs> brewmaster and psychiatrist yes shit i missed my calling oh my god eric how how could I you could not? have been max von Sydow with funny teeth oh, was he wearing yeah. funny teeth did we I, figure that out? I did not see that anywhere in any of the, the you know. I am going to go out on a limb and I say those so. were funny teeth. Those, I think, were fake teeth. That's one of the weird things I remember from SCTV that they did quite a lot was a lot, a well, lot of wig acting and makeup acting and funny teeth acting. Well, yeah, because it's a sketch show. That's how, You always do that oh kind my of shit. God. Some of those shows were so cheap, man. If you go back and look at some of those old SCTV shows, they had a room. And, oh, I'm and, sure. And like two chairs and a camera mm -hmm. and no audience. Yeah. So there's there, there's canned laughter on the show, which I think is like the hardest thing to get past now if you're a, a person who wants to like catch up on those old shows. Laugh tracks were such a big part of sitcoms and comedy shows in the 70s and 80s that like, I I mean, it was just what was done. It's oh, just man. what you did. If, unless you had a live audience, which most places did not. 
yeah. have. Well, I mean, there were shows that did that kind of sort of. Well, sure. I mean, SNL has a live audience. Improv- well, they have a live audience, but there were other shows like Mary Hartman. Mary Hartman was a, a show that kind of comes to mind, or Soap comes to mind as being a show oh, that was like soap. very uh, sort of. It, it had. I'm not saying that that was improv, but it was there were not. a lot of uh, comedians on that show, and and they acted to an empty room when mm. they shot that show. There was no laughter no. in that in those. And it's really, really weird to see short sketches of sketch comedy in silence. It's not, it doesn't work. No, it doesn't. Ha- having, gotta have something to break the tension there. Having been a comedian on stage during, during shows. <laughs> Involuntary silent. Where, yes, where there was just a dead silent audience. Oh man, there's nothing. You just, you start sweating. It's just the worst. Right. And these guys had nobody to react to. So they had to pretend that there was an audience laughing. Well, but I mean, that's how you, that's how you rehearse sketch. Yeah. I mean, that's just how it works. Yeah. So uh, uh, anyhow, so, so the, 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 the. The evil plot. The is. evil plot of the movie. We get to by the end of the first act that they introduce all the characters and all this kind of stuff. We get to the evil plot, which is Max von Sydow is going to poison this beer or put some sort of chemical in the beer, and he's going to rule the world. Yes, by taking control of people who drink beer. It doesn't really matter what he does. It doesn't. Really. It's just, but he's using patients from the the nearby mental institute, mental hospital. I don't remember. Right, it's an for Elsinore, criminally it's a, insane. Yes, I think. Elsinore is a brewery and a. It, it's a brewery. It is a research facility and, and mental hospital. It is for a the criminally hospital. insane. Yes, for the criminally insane. Yeah, we need more breweries in America that are like that. I guess like Half Acre Brewery. It's right across the street from a uh, mental health uh, 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 nursing home. Half Acre Brewery. Well, they could start experimenting on the on uh, the old people, the, the old dementia patients, on the old dementia patients across the street with I the mean, chemicals in the beer. Couldn't be worse. It's also right across the street from Spiteful Brewing. Brewing. Brewings. Brewing. Brewery. The uh, 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 spiteful. So you know that it still could happen in our times. But anyway, I mean it. it, it <laughs> well, and to, and to be to be even more specific, they're experimenting with additives in beer. That are then triggered by musical tones, but they haven't quite figured out the musical tones yet. So what they do as the experiment is they get these patients from the mental hospital. They dress them up in very Darth Vader-esque look and slash Stormtrooper-esque looking hockey gear. And then they have them play hockey. Yeah, imagine seeing a stormtrooper with skates on. And a hockey stick. And a hockey stick. Right. And in fact, there is a throw throwaway improv line about uh, Luke, I am your father. <laughs> that is directed father. That yeah. is directed at Rosie slash Angus McInnes, uh-huh. who is gold leader from uh, right. the Star Wars movies. Yeah. yeah. He's he's a famous hockey player in this movie that uh, the brothers fawn over. Right. Who had, a, had, had a hat trick. He, they they mentioned throwing octopus on the on the rink, uh, playing I guess playing the Red Wings. Toronto is right next to Detroit, right. so uh, uh, you know the the Red Wings the Red Wings hockey team has a tradition of during the playoffs when they win, people throw octopus on the ice, and so they they sort of name. It's not that. when they win; it's when they get a hat trick. When they get a hat trick, I believe. Oh, yes. Okay, I thought it was just when they won. Oh wait, no, no, you're right because it was it had to do with the you playoffs. You still throw hats when you get a hat. You still, yeah, you still throw hats when you get the right. hat. Right, and the eight no, no, arms no. represent the eight playoff wins games you that have they had to, to get. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah no, no, you're sure, right. Sure, it's a represent. People just like throwing damn octopus on. They have a whole thing about how you can and can't throw octopus out onto yes. the ice, like a whole system of rules so that people don't get rowdy with the octopus in the in the stadium. I don't know how Red Wings are doing. I mean, they probably suck, but. <laughs> no, nobody's throwing any octopus these days but uh, uh you know if they're good then uh and when they're in the the playoffs people are throwing like 20 pound octopus the on- biggest one was a 28 pound octopus wow you looked that up that's awesome i did <laughs> so the experiment eventually involves the mckenzie brothers because they're there you know, when you're at the brewery and you got nothing to do and you've looked at enough bottles with no mice in them, you dress up and you play hockey. Cause they basically just start drinking the beers off of the production line. Pretty anyway. much, yeah. They're just drinking beer and like hanging out and, and uh, doing the thing. Mm-hmm. And they get involved in the machinations of the brewmaster. And uh, I'm going to call him Uncle Daddy just because 
Yeah, he's Uncle Dad. He's sure. Uncle and Dad. He's that to guy Pam. that was in a whole bunch of movies. This dude that could play that guy. <laughs> he's, I mean, uh, his it, name is Paul Dooley, and yes, he has. He's one of those hey, it's that guy actors who is a character actor in many, many things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I mentioned this before on the show, but there's a, a documentary I, I think called "Hey, It's That Guy." Uh, just of character actors about character actors mm-hmm. and and you know these are people that you've seen in every tv movie every episode of a uh, long going tv series well, this that's is- another thing that they had back in the old days kids pull up a chair and let grandpa eric tell you about like tv series there was there's TV series now. But not the same way where it was like you could be a guest on The Love Boat one week and a guest on The Columbo the next week and a guest on Murder, She Wrote the next week. That was, it was a different sort of like- That's true. It was. It is sort of like the evolution of the Hollywood uh, industry, like Hollywood machine, where yeah. like you were like a contract Like Mariette player. Hartley was a guest on every TV show ever. Everybody and was And nobody knows who Mariette Hartley is. You yeah, know, I mean- is, she, she was just a guest on- uh, like this this week on Fantasy Island, Mariette Hartley has a fantasy to be a burlesque dancer. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, like if you were an actor in the 70s and 80s and you didn't have a starring role on a series. You'd or, show up on Love Boat. <laughs> you would, yeah, you do an episode of Love Boat. You do right. an episode of Gilligan's Island. You do yeah. an episode of uh, Cagney and Lacey. <laughs> you do an Lacey. episode of, uh, you know, uh, Newhart. You do an episode, like right. you just... Yeah. You did the whole thing because that's right. how TV worked back right. then. Yeah, and so that's that's the kind of situation we're describing here, right? With that guy, with that guy, Uncle so Paul, Daddy, Uncle yeah. Daddy, Paul right. Dooley. Right. Um, so they, what they decide to do because they got to get this pesky heir out of the way, right? Because Pam has to die. So essentially, this is a, this is one of the beats from Hamlet. Yeah, stick him with a infected sword sticker with an infected well sword. no 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 yeah. this this is the sending hamlet off to to england to get his head cut off but oh, instead right. rosencrantz and guildenstern take the fall right so in in this version of it bob and doug mckenzie get take into the fall. get into their van and uh they load up two kegs onto uh their the the back of the van yeah. one of which contains the body of the actual father who is murdered mm-hmm. and one that contains Pam who they've is submerged in beer in a drum. I guess no, no, not. It's, she's no just, it's empty. It's an empty. She's keg. just alive and in an empty cake. Right. She's an now empty see keg. that with, at the risk of getting too deep into the, the machinations of the details of this, this rich complex. Please, please drama, do. Uh, while Bob and Doug are having their little hockey encounter where they're, Playing with the drugged mental patients while the, uh, the you know organ music plays that causes them to become violent or the mental patients to become violent, someone steals their clothes. Oh, right. I did forget about that. And they steal their clothes so that uh, two henchmen can dress up like Bob and Doug McKenzie. Well, no, it's not henchmen. It's it's Max Vincito and and. Uncle Daddy. Oh, it's um, it's actually them that yes. were in those. They do costumes. everything. They don't have goons. They they don't really need the, goons. They the thing is, is that Elsinore Brewery has been automated to the point where they don't have actual people working in the brewery. It's very futuristic in that sense. The way that the the plant is run by computers. The idea in 1982 that a plant would be run by computers is probably one of the craziest ideas in that. Right. Thing. So there's really only like six people in the brewery doing anything. Bob and Doug McKenzie, <laughs> Pam. Okay. How's it going? Uh, the brewmaster, Uncle Daddy, and then Rosie, who's played by Angus McKenzie. Right. Who's the foreman? He's like the one guy who kind of takes care of things. He's the one guy that has to be the love interest because there has to be kind of some sort of love interest in a, in a sort of bog standard story like this. They had to throw that in there. And so- He's kind of the love interest and kind of the hero dude. Well, he's the Ophelia. Oh, he is the Ophelia. He's the Ophelia he? in the story because yeah. he does. So, so yes. So the the clothes are stolen. Uh, machinations are videotaped because everything's Everything on camera. Everything is on yeah CCTV and it's all on tape. So we see two guys wearing Doug and, and Bob McKenzie's clothes. They're toques. They're toques, like rolling the kegs through the, the brewery. Did you notice that their boots, each one of them had their name written on their boots? I did like not notice Bob that. Had, it, it, both of his boots were Bob and 
Doug's. Both of his boots were Doug's because they all because Bob and Doug are brothers and they're adult brothers and they live at home with their mom and dad. Their dad being played by Mel Blanc, who's the voice of the Looney Tunes cartoons. Right, which we we see a couple of in the course of the movie. Okay, so I hope the listeners out there are getting an idea that this is sort of a vortex now of all. Like old shit, <laughs> all kinds of old shit being pulled in and it's layers and layers deep. So it's not just a silly story, but it is kind, it's filled with gags. Yes. Filled with gags. Well, that's kind of how comedy movies worked, though, in this period. Yeah, in the in 80s, those days, yeah. that's how comedy movies worked. Even good comedy, like really like, like classic comedy movies like Caddyshack and uh ghostbusters and animal house and shit like that like they all kind of worked the same way meatballs you always bring up meatballs i always bring up meatballs because when people say caddyshack they fucking forget about meatballs and man meatballs was good so Uh, don't don't everybody throw it away in favor of caddyshack meatballs was also good i I would disagree oh oh yeah are we gonna have to do meatballs now because i don't want to (laughs) No, I, I I don't know about that. I mean, to somebody who, who who's watched Fatty Drives the Bus a number of times, I don't know how you can say anything bad about me. I have watched Fatty Drives the Bus exactly three times. I uh, What's worse, Fatty Drives the Bus or Things? Fatty Drives the Bus. <laughs> uh, those of us who are, those of you who are fans of our podcast may, may understand this. So, brief, brief tangent. Fatty Drives the Bus is a movie that was made by a comedy group here in chicago not like sctv not like sctv they they're called the annoyance theater they still exist and they still teach classes and have shows the the main spot that they originated from is no longer there the the theater used to be in an old ice warehouse it was really cool the bathrooms broke all the time but primarily that was an annoyance (laughs) yes primarily the movie was completely improvised and it is very apparent and it is not a good movie. And it's a, it's unfortunate because a lot of the people involved in the movie are incredibly talented, funny people. It got picked up by Troma Films, and that's about all I can say about it without really boring anyone. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's not good. Don't yeah. go watch it. No, we no, will no. never do it on the show because it is it is so bad that it's, it's so painful. I wouldn't want to sit through it again. It's like just, I said, it's too painful. To I've seen through. it exactly three times. This is an actual movie, you know, uh the, the <laughs> Yes, this is an actual movie. I mean, it is. It's an actual movie with real Of course it's a movie, Eric. MGM muscle behind it, you know? Yes, yes. It's an MGM film. It cost four or five million dollars to make, and it grossed eight point five million (laughs) dollars. To the listeners of this show, sometimes we have to point it out that it is an actual movie and not some sort of (laughs) We always do actual movies. It's just that sometimes the actual movies we do are things. Well, you know, it always comes back to things. It does, guys. Keeps coming back to that. You know, Eric. Eric said that there there was going to be a time when I had seen things, and that I would not be that I'd be an entirely different person because of it. And he's absolutely right. It's it's such a weird. uh, Like, don't take our word for it. Go find it and watch it uh, yourself. It's just and then come back to us. It's confounding. Come back to us. How many holding your cups aloft? How many times when I'm like actively watching something that I I sit there and I think about things? Yeah, me too. That was also made by Canadians, right? I think it was. Yeah, there you go. Bring it back around. It's funny. They're funny up there in the north. So the 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 big third act. Because I mean, we're not going to go through all of like the comedy bits and no, shit. No, no, no. You should watch it. I, I recommend this movie. Oh yeah, no, I, wholeheartedly. This was a favorite movie of my high school boyfriend and his brother. Uh, it's kind of got sort of folded in with like Top Secret and a lot of the Monty Python movies that they were really into. It kind of, it all kind of has the same feel to it. Goofy. It's, it's goofy, weird shit. Goofy. Yeah. But the big third act here is that. Bob and Doug get arrested because they they on suspicion of no kid, kidnapping kidnapping okay yeah, yeah kidnapping they kidnap Pam in in a, a keg right and but it's not really them well they're driving but they're driving they were kidnapped by Max von Sydow and and uh, Uncle Guy Uncle, Uncle Man mm-hmm. Uncle Daddy uh, uh, and the the brakes are cut on their van oh that's right so they can't stop and what ends up happening is that they. 
in a, a very nice stunt, I thought. I thought that was a great that was, stunt. It was, it was especially for a comedy film, like excellent. It's, you know, yeah. it's not Blues Brother level stunt. Well, no, yeah. no, no. But Blues Brother had the explicit goal of smashing as many cop cars as they possibly could. Right. This was this was a cheap movie compared to that movie. Right. Exactly. But uh, the van goes uh, uh, off the pier and into uh, some body of water. Yeah, I'm assuming a lake, a lake a bay or some yeah, and sinks. And because uh, Pam is uh, in the back in a hollowed out keg, it floats up to the top and she is able to get free and start swimming towards shore. Rosie jumps into the water and saves her in a completely unnecessary (laughs) way. Megan's internal lifeguard was like losing her shit while we were watching this movie. So he swims out to her. She's like three feet under the surface of the water. He blows all of the air. There's in his- a floating keg next to her. There by is the way. a floating keg next to her. She is she is not knocked out or anything, she, and, and or restrained in any way. She's swimming freely, and he 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 gives all of the air that he has in his lungs by blowing it into her mouth underwater. It doesn't seem efficient. It's stupid. And then she floats to the top and and swims <laughs> away. And then he 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 dies. Except yes. he doesn't. Oh, that's, and that leads to one of the better, weirder bits in the movie. Yes. Um, where they he doesn't die. It turns out that he and Bob and Doug are sitting in the sunken van at the bottom of this body of water in a water-filled, completely water-filled for environment. For like 10 minutes. For like 10 minutes, drinking beer out of bottles. And, and I don't know, like, but the, but the interesting thing is, is that... It was obviously done as a real stunt underwater because they have these bottles of beer, which are sort of like a little bit filled with air. And they're like they're discarding them to the to the roof of the cab in this van so that they're standing upside down, like a glued against the roof with the buoyancy of the bubbles in the in the bottles, which I thought was really cool. I see now my interpretation was I'm into buoyancy. Yes. My interpretation was those were empties. Yeah. That had been in the van, and that they didn't have beer in them. They had, they had air, air in them. them, and so they're drinking. They were they're drinking slurping the, the air. air out of the empties in the beer, replacing the air with what their CO two. I guess I don't know. Sure. You know what, Eric? We've we've gotten to the point where we're thinking about it too much. Oh, my buoyancy excitement is going down. Mm, buoyancy puns. <laughs> So, so they survive. They survive, but they end up being arrested for kidnapping and thrown into jail <laughs> right where they end up telling some like crazy stories to the rest of the inmates in jail about how badass how they badass are badass they are right you know rick moranis he's a killer he just likes to kill <laughs> you can't stop him you just you know you you, t- you turn around and then he's just killing somebody right. he's just murdering everybody these two characters are lovable dopes i mean if you're if if you find these guys off-putting or or unpleasant in any way the comedy is not going to work for you no, but I would find it hard to feel like these guys are are they're not they're they don't have a mean bone in their body. They're, they're just, stooges. They're just they are stooges. They are complete stooges in the way they behave, and they're like complete wide eyed innocents in in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So then they're going to go and save the day because they find out via the ghost in the machine that the big plot is. The beer, the tainted beer, is going to be shipped to Oktoberfest, where everyone's going to drink all of the beer, because that's what you do at Oktoberfest. Hell yeah. And that is going to be, like, the first step towards world domination. And so, they need to go rescue all of the people at Oktoberfest from drinking tainted beer. Well, there's only one sensible way to take care of that problem. Right. And that is... (laughs) To take your pet dog hose head and uh, paint him with a skunk stripes down a skunk stripe a, or skunk stripes down his back, mm-hmm. and then have him fly like Super Dog to the Oktoberfest location. To the Oktoberfest location where, where he will appear, and everyone will run away because ooh, there's a giant skunk in the beer tent. Right. And Does the, this work? Well, and the thing is, is that the dog is enticed by being told that he can drink as much beer and eat as many sausages as he wants. That's true. <laughs> what dog wouldn't do this job? So the dog does exactly what Eric said. 
the flying dog is one of the things about this movie that I always sort of sla- forget slash remember right. because it's like it doesn't make any sense. No, but I always think about it and I say, "What is that? What? Why is that dog flying at the end? I can't remember how that." How that makes sense, or like what? We, nothing. No, it doesn't. But it is Chekhov's smoking skunk dog because you see yeah. Hosehead in the first act. Oh yeah, you see him several times. Too. He's a very mean dog. He's a very mean he, dog. He, he growls. Wants, he, he wants donuts, donuts and beer. That's what he wants. <laughs> donuts and beer. Yeah, that's right. And apparently sausages as well. Yes, yeah. he, he likes them jellies. Eh? <laughs> he like the jelly donut, eh? Uh, so this this plan, of course, works. 100% goes off without a hitch. Everyone runs away from the skunk dog and the plan is foiled. The end. The end. <laughs> yeah. Really? Uh, they drive off in a beer truck. Yeah. And uh I think it's in And in Rosie the- Rosie and Pam fall in love and are just like Hamlet and Ophelia if Ophelia hadn't died in Right. In, well, you know what? In, in a, a lake. In a tragedy, people die. In That's a comedy, true. someone has to get married. So or drive off in a beer truck. Or drive off in a beer truck. Yep, that's that's how it works. That's the definition of comedy. <laughs> okay. Good day and welcome to our single. Thanks for listening to Cinema Super Collider. You can find us online at anchor.fm, but you can also subscribe to our podcast via any of the major podcast networks, including the Apple Store, Spotify, and others. If you'd like to email us, you can reach us at cinemasupercast at gmail.com. Thanks, and we hope to see you again in the future. Singing, eh? Yeah, yeah, he's good. Okay, so good day. Our topic today is music. That's right, like because my brother and I are now experts in the field. Yeah, eh? right, because we're a band now. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, so. except for him, I'm a band. Oh, how can you do that? Making me look bad. You're such a hose hand. Yeah, well, take off. Take-